Hello everybody, Happy New Year and welcome to episode number 45 of the Coach's Journey podcast. It's Robbie here and in this episode I invited a true master of the art of listening to interview me about my own journey and the transformations that have happened and continue to happen along the way. Um, That master of listening is Raquel Ark, who some of you might remember from her appearance on the Coach's Journey podcast. Um, if you want to learn more about Raquel, definitely go back and check that out. We don't really get into Raquel's story in this episode, but um, you know, safe to say, if you go back to listen to that episode, it's, it's a beautiful dive into the art of listening. She's the founder of Listening Alchemy, um, and her work, broadly speaking, is to bring listening and high quality of listening to all parts of of the world, but particularly to businesses and organizations. Um, and as I say in the episode, I'd had an idea for a long time that I wanted to create a special interview for this show with me and I hadn't done it yet. You, you, if you've listened to every episode you'll have heard a couple of interviews that I've done on other shows that I've shared here but it felt like I wanted to create something different and I also wanted to, to um, it's also a part of my 100 podcast challenge for 2022 um, which involves saying yes to a lot of things when you set yourself an extraordinary stretching challenge like I did to appear on 100 podcasts in a year. It requires getting creative and and making new things. And this is one of the things that we made. If you're interested in the 100 podcast challenge, you can find out more about that um, at robbieswalecott.com and I'll put a link in the show notes. So Raquel, um, in this episode, she just really deftly opens up a conversation in which I share you know, stories that I have told elsewhere before and some that I haven't. And it felt different to me to be listened to in this way. Um, we talk about what it was like to realize that my life wasn't what I wanted it to be, how the pain of that realization prompted me to look at uncomfortable things. And that practice of looking at uncomfortable things became a part of what I do. Um, you know, I now know that an experience of being uncomfortable doesn't make it the wrong thing to do. Often the opposite is true. We have to look at where the experiences are uncomfortable and face them. Um, Raquel prompts me with some like difficult questions, especially to talk about in public. What I th- like, what I think is unusual and different about me, and how those things make me well suited to coaching. Um, I think, in some ways, our conversation hones in on the transformational power of being true to yourself, aligning with your values, letting that inform the outcomes that emerge. But we, practically, we talk about agile methodology and how I use that to guide transitions in my life. Um, getting ourselves off the hook for the outcome so that we can focus on taking action, feeding our energy and not draining it, the people who see our potential and help us reach it and why that's important, the idea of leading with honour and putting all of of you, all of me into my work um, and how to be successful without compromising your values. Um, We talk about partnerships and my resistance to it and and much, much more. Uh, So... Yeah, definitely listen to, you'll hear Raquel and I mention in this episode that we recorded this session in a mammoth interview session where she interviewed me for for her podcast, um, Listen In. Um, uh, and um, so definitely go back and listen to that interview. Again, I'll put a link to that in the in the show notes. Um, definitely, as I said, you can learn more about Raquel in the interview that um, I did with her on this show. Scroll back down through your podcast app to find that. Um There's lots on this podcast from me about how I built and think about my business. Um, But in this episode, that's something a little bit different. So if you want some of those... um some of those more practical things, you can go back to the other episodes about me, you can find lots of those. But in this episode, we touch on things I haven't really talked about in this show. And Raquel's listening creates something that feels new to me, catches things that I wouldn't have caught by myself in the solo episodes, takes us in different directions to where we might have been before. That includes digging deep into fears, um, 
and and yeah some of the some of the real difficulties that i've i've had in my business um and it's really interesting to slow back and listen to that months on uh, we recorded it late summer 2022 and um you as i mentioned at the end of the show you, you know you'll get a flavor throughout it of raquel and uh, as a coach as a listener throughout and just the power of of really listening um, so I hope you enjoy it. I hope you take things from it that are powerful for your journey. Um, it's a reminder to me of the importance of reflecting on our, on what we've been through, um, on that experience that, that many people, including Raquel, had when I listened to them uh, at length on their shows. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode um, and take loads from it. Um, and yeah, without further ado, here we go. Raquel, welcome back to the Coach's Journey podcast. Uh, thank you. It's great to be here. And the reason we're both slightly laughing about that is we've just had a weird tech thing happen. Um, but one of the parts of it that I like the best is, um, uh, is which, <laughs> which is a little joke we had in, in the Coach's Journey community recently, which is that I basically said welcome to the show a couple of minutes ago and then we didn't realize that your mic had stopped working or, or something had gone wrong with my headphones or you know whatever it was doesn't really matter i thought you were just listening really well just like waiting for the you know, leaving a pause and so i carried on talking um and that's the um in the, the joke in the coach's journey community recently was you know it's a sign that that you're not your coaching is not going well when you're listening really intently to someone and they ask you are you still on the line um you know in, in in the big pause but um but but Raquel well welcome back to the show thanks for being here we're going to do something that we haven't done like we've kind of done on the Coach Jenny podcast in some ways people might think we haven't really done which is you're, you're joining today not as a guest although you were a fantastic guest um early in 20 um 22 um and people should definitely go back and check that out to hear your story you're joining as the first ever guest host well kind of maybe second ever actually i've just remembered that somebody did interview me on the show once about podcasting specifically but the first you know really full guest host the first proper guest host first time that that feels like the right thing to call somebody and it's interesting because i have you know perhaps with a little bit of trepidation and who am I, when I first started the show on my list of guests, I did have somebody to interview me um, as a kind of guest on my list of, of potential guests for the show. And at different times, I've had different people's names written next to that with a question mark, but I, I made a new list of, of with, with, with that on it recently. And one of the, I think the, the name next to it, there might have been somebody else as well, but one of the names next to it was Raquel, having met you, partly because... The conversation we had just had this beautiful feeling to it, and partly because, of course, one of the pleasures of being interviewed on a podcast is to be listened to really well, and listening is at the centre of your work. Um, and then, when we were discussing me appearing on your podcast, which which we've actually just recorded, you know, immediately before having this conversation, so people should definitely check that out when it's when it's released. Um, you spontaneously said, has anyone ever interviewed you for your show? And would you like me to do it, basically? And I was like, well, this is a sign. Let's definitely do that. And so here we are. Here we are. <laughs> and, and it's great to be here with you. Yeah. And and so, look, Raquel, we're just going to create something and see what happens over the next, I guess, hour and a half or so. And it's over to you, really, to create a conversation that you think, you know, we'll get to the interesting pieces of my journey, I guess. But but really, I don't even know why I said that, because really, I just want to hand over to you and see what emerges in this conversation um, with you as the host of the show. 
Well, I'm really excited to be here. And when I asked you that question, I was thinking, oh, you know, you normally interview people for two to three hours. And that's a huge gift. And I wonder, has that happened to you? Because often podcasts aren't as long. I didn't even give you that much time when I recorded (laughs) you a few minutes ago, even though we're doing this all at one time. And so I'm really happy to have you here. And I'm curious where this conversation goes. And, and I hope that through our, um, through looking at your journey that um, your listeners are surprised. And I hope that you, you too, (laughs) you too, you discover something about yourself. Um, And that is one of the amazing things that's happened on, on the show that I've heard people say, you know, so people that surprise me really people, I, you know, I guess it's a surprising gift you've just pointed to, to, to have somebody really listen to you as you tell your story. And yeah. So thank, yeah. Thanks for being here to do that. So on your podcast, you you take time to really listen to people's journeys. And and why don't we dive in to that with you? You know, your journey as Robbie, the coach, <laughs> your mm. coaching journey, because when it comes down to it, you have so many other things going on. But let's dive into this, um, into your coaching journey. Um, if you, if you look back at your, your professional journey, and at the the moment that you thought, hmm, coaching, what is this? Maybe it's something for me. Do you remember that moment? I mean, yeah, it was interesting. It's interesting. And I'm trying to really slow down on it because there's kind of, there's, there's a, the moment when I thought maybe that's something for me, it wasn't the first time I'd heard about coaching. And I'd kind of like, my brother had worked in coaching and with coaches in different ways for quite a few years. And I'd always kind of seen it as his thing. And at at first I was just like, what is this coaching thing? And what are people talking about when I first came across it on an interview series that he'd made with some of his friends called Waking Up the Workplace? All the questions were being asked by coaches. And I was like, "What? I'm I'm bored of everyone being a coach. Are there no other people on here? I didn't even really know what coaches were at that time. I think I might have even thought, are there any real people on here, you know, on this (laughs) interview series? Um, The time when I, the moment though, when I thought coaching, maybe this is for me, it was, I'm pretty sure it was on a, tra- I, I'm pretty sure it was on a train. <laughs> if we took, you know, we've just been talking a bit when we were you know, recording for your show about the train writing practice. And maybe we'll get back to that later on. I don't know, but you know, trains have obviously been a part of my life in lots of ways. And I'm pretty sure I was on a train up to Leeds when I actually had this insight. And so visiting one of my friends, I, I think I'm not a hundred percent sure. And basically I'd been thinking quite a lot. I'd had about probably by this point, like five months off work. Um, I'd done some traveling. I'd, I was in a, a phase. It was the kind of almost the classic. I was about late twenties, Saturn returns moment, rock star death age crisis. Um, where uh, the way Robert Holden, one of my mentors describes it is like, you know, my first go, I'd had my first go at being an adult. It hadn't ended that well. Um, the relationship that I'd been in had ended the I'd come to the end of a cycle with work where it was like, this isn't for me for the long term. And that, that all the places I'd been living felt like they'd, it was time to move on. You know, and that was quite a painful, scary time in lots of ways. And I'd managed to harness some of that energy to think about, well, what do I want to do next? And I'd had various criteria for it. One of which was, um, one of which is I wanted to, like, I'd looked at my work and thought, which are the bits that I enjoy? And I'd kind of which are the bits that I really enjoy? Because I wanted to really enjoy the work. And it had been people. That's what had come out of it. So I knew that. And then I also had this criteria, which was I'd kind of, I'd worked in arts and culture and I'd kind of got a bit bored of it. Like no longer did I get excited by 
arts and culture and going to the theatre as much in the outside of work, like it had become work. And really, I had this ideal in my mind that that my work could be something that I was that I wanted to read about for fun. You know, that like that I would be learning about all, you know, be happy to learn about all the time that my work could be something like that. And I was reading lots of things, partly because of the the crashing of my first go at being an adult. I was reading a lot about relationships at the time. A lot of, I, I kind of discovered that you could learn about how to have better relationships and particularly focused on on intimate or romantic relationships. But I, didn't, I kind of didn't know there was all this stuff that had been written out there, all this wisdom. And even though people had given me books that were definitely, you know, I was reading sometimes I was reading stuff that I'd had for years and I was like, oh, I wish I'd read this years ago. And then what I spotted was I was interested in reading this stuff. They were all these books were usually written by psychotherapists or coaches. And that was the first time when I thought, oh, maybe then people, psychotherapy, coaching, maybe that's for me. I think it's really funny that you realized that from a book and that was before you became an author. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, what's funny about me being an author in some ways, Raquel, is like I had this, this is a real journey as part of getting the books published. It was like, I've never really dreamt of being an author. Like one of the things I had was I was looking through the publishing Publishing is a weird industry these days. It's like been completely disrupted. And when I was working out what to do with the 12 minute books, but also with this other book that I've had on the back burner, for, I've been working on for years, really. Um, like, it, it's quite hard to work out what, what should I do in terms of publishing those? What should I try and do? And one of the things I did was I spoke to a, a friend of my wife's called Miranda Kaufman, who's written um, a really successful book about um kind of history book, pop history book. And when I spoke to Miranda, what was what came through really from her was, you know, it had taken her a lot of drive to get her book published by a big pub, uh, kind of medium-sized publishing house in the UK. And she had had the drive to do that. And that was partly because it had been her dream since she was a little girl to have a book published. And that has never, and I, it was really wonderful to talk to her about that, to hear her drive and to realize that it had never been my dream in that way. Um, but reading has been a part of my life since I, as long as I can remember. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting. We've, I've got a, a daughter who's 18, 20 months old now as we're recording this. So last time we spoke, when I recorded your show, she was probably just done just before she was one or something like that. So it's different. She's a different creature now compared to then, but she's really interested in books. And like my, I was noticing with my wife, Emma, that we were both really pleased about that. And then we couldn't really work out why we were pleased about it because it's because for both of us, reading had been so much a part of us since we were very, very um, little. I think so. Yeah, I absolutely got that got that thought from from reading a from reading a book. So you were inspired. So when you this first moment where you had this thing, okay, maybe maybe that's something for me was in reading reading a book, and um, there was something about that book that kind of made you think twice that time, even though coaching had been around because of your brother beforehand. You know, I think it's really interesting, these moments where something clicks, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, you know, back, back in those days, you weren't getting things done as much as you are now. <laughs> 12, true. The 12 minutes. So when you, when you look back at what got you going, and, and um, that moment that you had that first thought till the moment where um, you became a coach, um, what are a couple of, uh, things that stick out on your journey on becoming, you know, kind of the driving force of your coaching of today? Yeah. I mean, the first thing to say is just as you were reflecting that back, it's, you know, I remember this feeling 
as I settled on, well, first, so I experimented quite a bit with psychotherapy training before I settled on coaching training, interestingly. And I think that might have partly been because of my brother. You know, it's like, oh, but that's his thing. And, and it might also be because I had a kind of went to a coaching training thing, which I didn't get really excited about. But, um, you know, it's like, it's a kind of, it was a bit disappointing in some way that that was what I came to. I remember this feeling, cause it's like, well, this is obvious. Why didn't I see this before? Because both my parents had been, had been psychotherapists at times in their life. My mum, for like the last two decades of her career, had been a counsellor. My brother worked in coaching and, and had a small coaching practice. Like, why had I? Why had it taken me so long to get to this point? And I think it is really, it was partly because I had this story that that it was kind of boring to do what the family did. And now what's interesting is I see it as like wonderful because it means suddenly all these conversations that my brother and my mum and dad were having, I could suddenly feel like I was able to be part of. Um, and, and like, we actually had more in common and it enabled our relationships, certainly mine and my brother to strengthen because we had this work thing that, that we could really, really talk about together. And we, we really do now. Mm. Yeah. That's really interesting how it kind of also influenced your family dynamics at that yeah, abso- time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm really glad that it did. And I think partly what was happening in that actually, as you say, that pack is, um, I was starting to see the power of personal transformation. That was what has happening in that whole period. That whole late twenties Saturn returns moment for me was, you know, I really started to see that I could, that being different would change my life. Like, and and that I could change how I think, or if I changed how I thought the world and my experience of life was really different. And that partly came from thinking about relationships and it partly came from other things. And, I think a big part of all of this was like including what helped me get through that kind of sticky struggle of, of, of career change was that I'd start, I was just like, my life was kind of really had been really blown open by just a series of changes that had happened. And um, the way I think about it now, I heard this, I heard a guy called Jordan Hall talk about uh, the Greeks having two words for time chronos the kind of everyday time one thing follows another and then kairos which is these kind of times where time feels a bit different and lots of transformation can occur and i think in a way in coaching we create moments of kairos for our clients through the conditions Mm. of coaching um and i heard jordan hall talking about it because the pandemic was a moment of total kairos right all these things were thrown up in the air and no one knew where they were landing but if but people who were smart and wise could use that to create positive change. Um, and it was total, my life, it was a moment of Kairos. And it was just, I, I started to see that the, I was probably for the first time, I was really taking, like every time I learned an insight about how people worked and how I worked, I found, was finding ways to apply it in my life. And that made a real difference um, in terms of like how I was being. Uh, and and then the, the practical stuff, I mean, the truth is like the, one of the things that made the biggest difference to me was, was a blog that I read. So I, I, one of the things I was doing, I like moved back to London as part of this and I was temping in like, I'd, in, I'd managed to talk my way into an HR department. That was my way of being like people trying people. Cause I'd never worked in HR or personnel before. Um, and it probably occurred to me pretty quickly that working in this HR department, doing the kind of work that I was doing, wasn't the end game for me. Um, because I did have this ideal of, well, what if work could be more? What if I can have more impact? What if I can enjoy every part of it? What if it can really engage me? Um, and it wasn't that. 
Um, but I, but one of the another woman who was temping there told me about this blog called Career Shifters, which is a UK based um, business that runs worldwide now, helps people change career and find work that's more fulfilling and uses their strengths and all that kind of thing. And I mostly read this. I read this blog like every week for I don't know a year, two years, um, and it was mostly written by a woman called Natasha Stanley and. That was she, her writing at that stage was really impactful for me. And one of their blogs, which I think might have been written actually by not Natasha, but by the Career Shifters founder, a guy called Richard Alderson, was about what he called the lean career change. And in a way, I, I just had this insight last week that in a way, this was the foundation for um, like when, when, when my writing practice emerged, which is so much what's in my mind in 2022. Um, like it looks, it could look like that that was the origin of like that started with uh, the story that some people have heard before with Joel asking me questions and us creating a practice of writing on the train and then it becoming a weekly practice. But I had this insight last week that in some ways the first, the first time I had an overwhelming project, which I was getting stuck, could have got really stuck with, maybe did get stuck with, but then, then got unstuck with was this career change. And, and you kind of pointed to that when you asked, the question a few minutes ago and this lean career change thing was really important and it was basically using agile uh, agile methodology to help people with career change so people who don't know that's like um i think it's in tech companies it's like often but that is more broadly used now it's like create a minimum viable product test it learn from that iterate it again learn from that iterate it again it's basically do that with your career change so have an idea run a low-cost, low-risk experiment. If that feels good, run another one. If that feels good, run another one. When it doesn't, like rewind to the last time you had a successful one and take a slightly different direction. And that was basically how I got from something to do with people, which is about where I was, um, to signing up for a, a nine-month coaching training. You know, I could imagine... Um that agile concept put into that kind of context. I hadn't heard it in the career context. So that's really interesting. Um, it also forces us to be reflective and self-reflective, doesn't it? And so not only um, getting ready for the coach, being coached helps us be reflective, but you really hadn't been coached by that point. I mean, obviously no, you I, had I wish I had. Members. I absolutely <laughs> yeah. wish I'd had a coach at that point. It would have made my life so much easier. So much easier. <laughs> but you had a lot of family members kind of in that area. But but I was thinking that that agile process of trying things out and reflecting and, and seeing what works or what doesn't work, that kind of started the the self-reflective process um, with, a, with a kind of more of a structure, you know, um, which I think is really interesting because I feel like not only have you gotten to coaching, but when I think about some of the stuff, you know, in your books, I mean, those are also bringing in structures um, yeah. that, um, so there's some, some play here on your journey about um, uh, structures, about writing, about, um, I'm just looking at these threads that are actually following mm. through on this on this journey of yours. So it's we'll get back to this, but I'm just going to point that out for right now and yeah. get into this coaching piece. So then you signed up for the nine month coaching um, program, and I don't know about you, but when I did my coaching program, when I the reason why I signed up and what I got out of it, there was actually <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I, if I reflect back, I got things out of it that, that I did not expect. And I was, I'm wondering about you. Um, when you, from the moment that you signed up to after you finished, um, what were some things that you got out of that program that you didn't expect? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And I love that you pulled out the potential, the structures, the spaces, all that, all that kind of thing. And it, you know, the learning process at that time, I also just really caught that this is just, I think perhaps, a, this is like a kind of perhaps an important insight for me, maybe for others. I think one of the things was I had been, so it's just to catch that the reflective process that happened through that agile the lean career change thing. It wasn't always fun. Like some of it was kind of painful, especially when I'd spent like two terms and hundreds of pounds on a, on a counseling course that, and I realized that wasn't it. And I had to kind of go back to the drawing board, but I was kind of like, I'd really seen that my life wasn't what I wanted it to be. And that was kind of painful. And I'd seen that I'd made mistakes and that was kind of painful. And for some reason I'd, 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 well, and I could, we could, I could give some idea of why that is, but I'd, for some reason I was willing to look at the uncomfortable things a bit in that, in that period. And that just, I, I'd never really seen that before, but I just kind of saw it then as a, a part of what helped me through that, that career change. And then, yeah, I love what you said about the coaching. And, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about recently is I, I'm, and we were talking about this a little bit, actually, when we recorded just now for your, your show, like getting the, getting ourselves off the hook for the outcome. So I actually went into my coaching training and in a way I got what I hoped, like, cause, cause this was all for me about like, how do I find work that fulfills me and uses my strengths and I enjoy learning about in my spare time and that energizes me, not saps me. Like those were some of the things that I was thinking about. And in the end, Raquel, you know, seven years on, I have got that and I had it, I had it in some ways earlier, but I was scared of that. And that felt like, like I, a really useful thing that happened in the build-up to doing the coaching training was I asked my brother, I sent him the website of the company because it was a kind of startup. And, you know, it's like, what do you think about this? I'm thinking of doing it. And he said, yeah, it looks like they're saying all the right things. And there was some stuff about helping us make it work as a business. There was some stuff about authenticity in there. You know, there was some stuff about the every coach being unique and he liked that. But he also said, and look, Rob, like, I've known a lot of people who've done coach training and no one has regretted doing the training, however they've used it afterwards. And that was really right. important for me because, and I could see that then I was like, oh yeah, if I want to go back into organizations, you know, cause I had this like slight regret that I'd, I had, a, I had a fork in my career where I could have gone into the corporate world in a, in quite a big way. And I had a slight, as I was, you know, when I found that when changing career, when in transition, I was really, I was full of regret and uh, jealousy really of the people that had felt like they were now seven you know if I was like 27 or 28 at the time that were like eight seven eight years ahead of me because they'd made better choices at, at 21 than I had they'd found their thing earlier so I kind of regretted that and and I so I, was, I thought things at this stage like well whatever I decide to do whether I go back into working in arts and culture which is what I'd done whether I work my way into the corporate world which is what I thought I might be interested in whether I use it as coaching this will be really useful and so that was that was really important actually I don't think I've answered when, your question, have I? <laughs> no, no, you haven't. <laughs> um, but but you're you have a great answer. Um, I guess I, I what I'd love to know is what really surprised you. And maybe you have to. Th maybe it's even look. Maybe nothing surprised you. <laughs> no, I, things definitely did. I mean, look, there's a there's a kind of slightly uncomfortable surprise for me to talk about, which is that I was good at it. <laughs> that there were some unusual things about me that made me good at it that I didn't realize 
were unusual things about me. Okay, so um, let's pause right there before you keep going. Yeah. There's some unusual things about you. And a little while ago when you were speaking, you said that you were different. Hmm. Um, to be honest, I have no idea what's unusual or different about you. And I'd love <laughs> to know what you think is unusual and different about you. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we, maybe, we, maybe we all think we're unusual and different. Um, I mean, in, in that context, um, I think I started to see, well, look, it was, I think I started to see in the coaching training. And I think this is, uh, I'm just catching that I said it was kind of an, a slightly uncomfortable thing. I think when people ask a question, I think that mostly when people get asked a question, like what surprised you about something like a coaching training, it'll be like, I just, you know, and this was true. It's like, oh, I went through so much personal, tra- I thought I was just going to learn some skills and I, but I went through personal transformation as well, something like that. And these are the transformations. And so it feels a bit uncomfortable. And also just because I'm not very used to saying, like many of us aren't, oh, I, I'm good at this thing. Um, and one of the things was, you know, it's just like the, the, the listening seemed to come more easily to me than to some of, not to everyone, but to some of the other people on the, on the program that the, and maybe this points to back that back to that observation you made that, that holding the structures of coaching and using them with some nimbleness seemed to come more quickly to me than, than some of the other people that I trained with. Um, and the unusual parts, I mean, these days I would look at, you know, what makes me unusual or different? I mean, there are some things that are, you know, g- generally unusual. I'll talk about them in a sec. I think these days I would be, you know, I would think that we're all pretty unusual and we just haven't always spotted what those unusual things are. You know, for me, it might be that I had parents who had had been counsellors and, and psychotherapists. And so I'd been listened to in that way. I'd had that that curiosity that any good listening professional has about other people and about life and had been kind of accidentally training in that since I was as old, since I was zero, you know, since I was born, really, since I was old enough to understand what people were saying, I was probably hearing my mum and dad's curiosity about the world and learning that from them. Um, but also, and then, and then I'd had that, um, one of the unusual things about me is I was home educated until I was about eight um, and so I'd had this environment where my curiosity had been allowed to, uh, what, f- uh, I had been allowed to follow my curiosity. My curiosity had been around, allowed a free reign for many years. Um, and that was a key, um, that was a key, very key part of creating who I am, as was the, the very difficult transition to going to school. And then, of course, there were other things later on that had helped, I think, helped me pick up the skills of coaching quickly. Um, but I don't think that when I started it, I expected people to be saying as nice things to me about my coaching as they did on the coaching training, which which brings us back to that, that question about surprise. But yeah, what do you hear in that answer, Raquel? Well, it sounds like you were getting some, I don't know, I don't know if positive feedback in this last thing that you just said, you were getting back some uh, positive feedback or however you want to call that. Um, and that surprised you. Um, maybe it was that people were reflecting back um, areas that you, maybe blind spots that you had in terms of what your strengths are or what 
came easily for you? Because often what comes easy for us, we don't think as strengths or we don't notice yeah. because it's just easy. There's this perception that it has to be, we have to work hard to do something good. And you were surprised that, oh, <laughs> I'm good at this. <laughs> um, and, you know, and maybe even if you look back at that time, hearing that from people, um, maybe it felt a little uncomfortable at first. It could have been you didn't even take it in at the, in the beginning. I'm yeah, I think about certainly that. I didn't, my heart didn't take it in, right? I still struggle yeah. with that a little bit. My head might have gone, okay, yeah, I can hear that and I can see that. But yeah, no, right. and, and you're so right about the strengths piece, you know, it's something I'm sure I and many, many of us, you know, help, try to help our clients see. But you're, mm-hmm. yeah, you're absolutely right. It didn't feel like some of this stuff was so kind of so in me that I didn't even know. You know, it's like the absolute classic thing that people say about their strengths. It's just a thing I do. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's funny just to um, to listen to you and and having experienced you in a couple of different situations and and also listening to you on the podcast and. Um, you have an interesting combination of being able to listen, but you're a- also able to t- talk quite a bit. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, poor podcasters who I appear on their shows. I don't know if you felt this, Raquel. I sometimes think like, I, I noticed that when I am interviewed on podcasts, it often runs over what the, you didn't do this, but it, it often runs over what the podcast, podcast host had in mind or booked in my calendar. And at first I started, I was like, why is this? Why do all podcasters have no sense of time? And then I was like, maybe it's me. You know, maybe why do I give 15 minute answers to the smallest question? <laughs> but I mean, you're, you're also a great storyteller. And, and part of that comes from being an observer. And so that, I think that's, that's, um, and able, so it's, it's a beautiful thing to take into consideration. But what I really find interesting is that often you find people who talk a lot, not always listening the best or vice versa, people who are listening well, who don't always maybe um, speak out loud as much, you know, and I was I probably somewhere in the middle there too, or I've evolved yeah. over time too. Um, and um, probably growing up in the environment um, where you had parents who listened to you um, helps you to help to give you a certain level of voice that yeah. you are probably experiencing now. And at the same time, they had that role modeling of listening, which helped you in your coaching. And, you know, I've had, I have a lot of coaches that come to my training, listening training stuff and tell me afterwards, oh, I wish coaches would be taught how to listen. And I'm like, well, coaching is a listening uh, profession, but sometimes people are so into their checklist and things that they have to Mm. do that they're not really present in the moment and giving the attention um, that listen to for that. Well, they listen, but maybe not at the level um, that can have this more transformative impact and even more than what they've done so far. So I've heard that before, um, which is really interesting. And it sounds like um, that that was, you know, at that time um, that was there. So I think that's really, really, really interesting. And um, and so that might have been just a first awareness of when, oh my gosh, I might be good at something, especially if you had gone through a time period in your life where it didn't go as well as what you thought and whatnot. So like, oh, <laughs> wait a second, yeah. there's something cool here. You know, there's something good here. And can I accept that or not? You know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And it had been a big, you know, it, it had been, I had had work where I felt like I was being well used, like my talents were being used. Not necessarily these talents we're talking about now, but some of my talents were being well used or I was being more well used by the work. But those last few years, 
And the, the few the, the the tricky thing about a career transition is, you know, you have to do some. Most of us have to do some work while you're doing the transition. And uh, the work that I was doing was not using my talents. So I think it did also that did have an effect on me. You know, it's like, I, I what am I worth? Is a question I was asked. I was asking myself in some way. You know, it's like what. Um, you know, it's like, why have I, I think that I'm good at some things, but I'm, I don't seem to be getting paid or doing, you know, getting paid what that might be warranted or doing work with the responsibility that, that, that might, or the, you, you, that's using me in the way that that might be wanted. And when that's happening, I think on me, at least it had an effect of, you know, some of that confidence was undermined at that point. You know, mm-hmm. I felt kind of directionless and yeah, like I said, there was a lot of, there was regret about my professional decisions and there was jealousy of, you know, certainly anyone who felt like they were kind of on a path and anyone who was doing the kind of work that I wanted to do. Um, and yeah. And so, so getting that feedback, I guess, like I must've loved it. You know, I also recall there was a tricky thing that it's like, like I remember this, um, I remember telling one of my coaches this story, um, you know, like, there was this. It's kind of surprising to get that feedback. I wasn't very good at taking it, as you kind of pointed out, and like that was partly because I, I also kind of knew it. It was this weird paradox. So to be told it, it was like, yeah, well, yeah, I am doing it as well. I'm, I'm working really hard to to do that thing, and you know, I'd had examples of that. It's like. I'd kind of tried to work out, let me see if I can get this in a way that, that makes sense for this conversation. Um, I had in my, like in my education, when I'd gone in there, I'd kind of tried to work out how to do things. And then I'd, when I'd worked it out, I would do them. And so when I got the kind of praise, I'd got quite used to going, yeah, okay, I understand that. That's why I got the praise because I learned how to do the thing. And then I did the thing and that doesn't seem worthy of praise. So it was quite, yeah, that, does that make, I'm not sure I've quite got it. Yeah, does that make it's sense? almost like, it's like, isn't, well, there's, there's one thing like, uh, isn't that normal just to practice and do it? Is, is mm. that, that, isn't that normal? <laughs> yeah. What's so special about it in one sense? And at the same time, um, it's what, it's almost like this is just what you do, mm. I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it there, there was. So you're you're focused on the task there, on the skill set. Yeah. But I wonder if some of the feedback and what they said to you actually was beyond the task and the skill set. It was bigger than that or beyond that. And maybe I'm not sure if you recognize fully at that time. Yeah, I I don't think I did, but I started to get it I started to get it from those people as time went on. And I, I think for me, it's always easier to absorb this stuff in action, from action, not from mm-hmm. words. Yeah. So right. it was easier for me to absorb. Like I, I did absorb some of it. And for example, Phil Bolton, who ran that training, you know, I still think about, he once said like, <laughs> this is a kind of strange thing to say. Like he once said to me, Robbie, you're one of the most creative people I know. And I remember thinking, well, that, what? Well, who does Paul well, Phil's? Phil was an accountant, so maybe that's why he doesn't know any any creative people. <laughs> but like when I was when I was publishing in my books, 
especially the first one, I was full of who are you to do this? And I kept reminding myself of what Phil had said because it was like, well, look, I trust Phil. He said that. Therefore, I must be the kind of person that is creative. Therefore, I can do this and really trying to Mm -hmm. center on that. But when people like Phil invited me, you know, would occasionally refer a potential client to me that he couldn't work with or they invited me to help on this or I can't remember if I asked or they invited me to help on a subsequent training. You know, that was when I started, that was more what I believed. It's like, okay, there's a reason that there, there must be a reason that they're doing that. And it's something to do with, with, with who I am. And I was able to absorb that more as time went on, but I've got to say, Raquel, it's still really hard. Like as when we're speaking, it's two days after we, so I have this, the community for coaches that, that runs alongside this podcast and uh, one of them is, uh, at the moment, only one of them is based in the US, but he happened to be over in Europe. And so because of that, we had an in-person meeting of some of the members of of the Coaches Journey community a couple of days ago. And I've got to say, for most of the time, I was, like I, they're amazing people. And I was mostly sitting there going, why have they ended up here? I know it's because of me, but like, because I invited them <laughs> and something I've done. And I said, why don't we have a day where we do this together? Like, I know it's because of me, but really, why? And I still don't. That's a very hard thing to, I still find that very hard to kind of really absorb. And I hope that some people out there don't find it that hard because I think life, like I've, I've put quite a lot of, one of the things I learned to to maybe to finally answer your question about (laughs) from ages ago about what surprised me on that, that, um, that training, like two, 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 a couple of really important things happened. They had this like great thing as part of the training where, um, so I was surprised by it because I didn't learn it from the trainers. So each of the um, each of the students, including me, gave a little, like, gave a lesson as part of the final module or, or something like that to, to really, you know, demonstrate that we were coaches now and we could talk about coaching and, and a really powerful part of the training. But I learned an amazing thing from my friend Catherine, who who was on that program, and the insight helped me celebrate success. And I've I've really worked on that, and it, and it is much better to have. Um, to have done that so i hope not everybody finds that kind of thing as the absorption of those that praise and the celebration of success as slippery as i do hmm. you know one of the things i used to be really bad about um receiving praise i'd always give it back to the person whoever gave it to me you know yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so i cheated back um but i i had you know a long time ago i had this um <laughs> this boyfriend from mexico he did teach me a few things <laughs> And I remember, um, you know, he was saying, oh, you know, just, just say thank you, you know, giving a, yeah. uh, giving a, a compliment or uh, reflecting back. That's also, it's also, I feel good when I share that with you. And so it's my gift too. And if you don't receive the gift, then you're taking the gift, you know, from me too, you know, so it's not just about yeah. you. <laughs> it's also yeah. about me. And I thought that was really interesting. It's really and, nice. Cause, um, cause it's, it's really true. Yeah. Like I, I know that thing that you're saying, you know, I have, I have lots of, ways to uh, basically I, ha- I had have I had and have lots of ways to avoid being the center of attention despite being center of attention making right. myself the center of attention in lots of places like I have lots of ways to hide and that's such a good one isn't it deflect the compliment uh turn it back on somebody but but yeah he he's right isn't he when you give that compliment and I catch because I'm I've thought about it for myself so much you know I, I sometimes catch it and I'm able to say no no what to somebody you know who I've given a compliment no no wait really this is the thing about you Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried this, but um, what I try to do now, but maybe maybe you do it without realizing it, is when someone says something, 
or I, or something someone writes something um, to just take it in and just feel it in my whole body, like in my cells, and then see what what's what wants to stick or what is it that I discover from that? Because obviously it's from that person's perspective. So, but there's something there, and what sticks and what wants to stick in the cells, you know. So I without doing it with my head, that's a really interesting um, experience, a creative way to to work with with that kind of stuff, you know. So, um. yeah, no, I love that. I don't do that, and I really should. My my best attempt so far at mastering it, and um, has been that I've got a document which used to have a really dull name uh, called uh, Testimonial Bank, <laughs> and I changed its name because that was too dull. To this doesn't really work though. To you are amazing, Robbie. Don't forget it. So I have a Word document <laughs> pinned to my taskbar, which is called that. It's got lots of things that I've copied and pasted into it, um, yeah. and I. You know, I once tried to I once tried to have a practice of reading them to somebody and I like in enlisting my wife's help with it. And I gotta say the first time I did it, it was one of the most uncomfortable. I read this thing that my friend Nicole had written about my coaching, and I gotta say it was a very cringy thing for me to do. I need to go back I need to go back to doing that practice. Um definitely. <laughs> like, but but oh, the, the but yeah, <laughs> but the the you're right that like the problem that I might have even said it, I don't know. I've I've thought this before that problem is that my it's not my head that needs to hear the compliments right because on a right. thought level i can see that i'm good at things it's the heart or the gut or, mm -hmm. or some other parts mm -hmm. of me that need to really hear that stuff um yeah i think you know what i so when i hear you speaking um and we still haven't haven't gotten very far in your journey here we um <laughs> it's good you're being, you're being a great guest host raquel and <laughs> that you're like letting us go down great tangents so that's that's right on coach's journey brand all right <laughs> so um i'll take that as a compliment let it Definitely. sink into my yeah. now. <laughs> um um so, so when, when I look at your website and you talk about who you are, you, I'm going to read what you say. Um, and because then I'm going to reflect it back to what we're talking about right now. Um, you say, I love seeing the potential in my clients and helping them reach it. I love seeing the potential in my clients and helping them reach it. Right. Um, so if we kind of turn that around, you talked about your trainer who is an, um, an accountant. He saw potential in you and probably gave you something to help you reach it. So if you look back at maybe um, a person or a couple people who have seen your potential and have helped you reach it, I'm sure there's many, maybe, yeah. um, maybe you can give an example of, of a person that maybe saw potential in you that you did not recognize at first and helped you reach it. Yeah. I mean, there are two that really come to mind. Um, one was a teacher. I write a bit about that on my about page on my website as well. Uh, you know, a teacher who, after I was in a, a Christmas play, a short, a short scene in a Christmas play asked me if I would be the lead part in the next Christmas play. Um, and it was only a couple of years after I'd, since I'd started school. And I still think of that teacher, Mr. Leeming as, you know, that, and that moment I can kind of remember it really clearly. I feel like I can remember it clearly. Um, that was a real moment. And it, I think it was a moment because of that thing that you've just said, because it was somebody outside of my family saying, I see something in you. Um, and I think he even said something like, uh, I can't think of anyone else who could do this. 
Now I know he meant, you know, in year seven at Ingleton Middle School in North Yorkshire, but it still meant something to me. So that that is one. And, and that left, you know, if we talk about me being able to speak a lot, that might partly be because for the 15 or 16 years after that, acting was my main hobby uh, and, and, you know, almost work in, in various ways. Um, and then the other one, one that uh, key one in the in in coaching was, <laughs> I just remember just getting this email from this woman called Joe Hunter, who I'm very lucky to now call a friend um, and a colleague. I got this email from Joe one day. I was at the time I was coaching two days a week and working in a leadership program three days a week, and I, I'm going to say I'd met Joe three times at this point, had three meaningful conversations with her maybe. Maybe it's more than that, but I only remember meeting her a handful of times, and I just thought she was this awesome woman. Um, she's she's kind of she felt slightly larger than life to me to me, very charismatic. Um, and she ran a company, runs a company called Sixty Four Million Artists. So they're dedicated to unleashing they slash we because I that's the that's the end of the story. Spoiler alert: um, they slash we still is you know. Um, are dedicated to unleashing the creativity of everybody in the UK. And I just thought that was an amazing thing. So visionary, so much stuff in there that I, I loved. Anyway, I got this email from Joe one day, as far as I knew, apropos of nothing. And it said, Robbie, I've just been something like, I've just been invited to, um, basically, I've got this pitch to, to run a leadership program for King's College London. It's going to involve some coaching. Do you want to do the coaching for these 18 people? And... I just remember reading this email. I think I might have read it while I was at work at my three-day-a-week thing, and then I was walking across Waterloo Bridge. Again, I can kind of remember where I was, looking at it, reading it again. I kind of skim-read it. Or maybe I was reading it on my phone, walking across the bridge, just being like, is this real? Is this for real? Mm-hmm. Like, why would she be Why would she be asking me to do this? You know, when, for example, I'd known her from a leadership program, she'd been coached on that. She'd known a load of people Um across the uh across her cohort who are probably trained as coaches she must you know there's all these like why would she choose me i definitely had that thought and and really luckily raquel isn't it? i mean we could talk more about i could i have asked her we could talk about why she chose me and and but an important thing that was happening for me at that time is joel my coach at the time had set me this challenge this money game challenge which was to make proposals so it's like the idea being that in coaching you can't you can't control whether people say yes to work with you. But if you say enough times, it costs to different people, it costs X pounds to work with me for Y months. Then in the end, if you like, if you, you can control whether you say that to people, and if you do that enough, then you'll end up with enough clients. You almost can't help but have more clients. And so Joel had sent me this, and I had sent me this crazy challenge to, to make a lot of proposals to a lot of people over this period. And so in the middle of that, I got this email from Joe. And because I was playing the game and taking it, seriously the money game but not too seriously but taking it seriously i kind of knew that i had to say yes so all my self-doubt which would have said why are you choosing me and might have tried me to get out of it because i had been invited by joe into this place of creativity and play around it i you know i basically said yes because then i on my you know even if she later on realized this is a terrible idea why have i asked robbie he doesn't know anything about coaching um, which is probably what I was worried about. You know, I'd still have made essentially made the proposal to her. Um, and I didn't end up coaching 18 in the end. That would have been too much, I think, for me. We, Joe and I split the first year between us. And, and I've been working on those programs in different ways ever since. Um, and, and that was an amazing show of faith by a, a woman that I just have 
all the respect uh, and admiration for. And, and yeah, so there's another one. So here's someone that, that um, saw something in you, even maybe beyond what you saw in yourself, and opened a door and was willing to take risk. Um, and I mean, it's interesting, you, you're still there which is nice. And you have a good friend out of it too. Yeah. And, and you say take a risk, you know, it's interesting because probably if you'd asked me for a third person, you know, that, that taking a risk that I would have probably talked about a woman called Rachel Feldberg, who um, was a big part of the T was, was kind of, I think led the recruitment. She certainly mentored me after I started when I worked at a small, my first leadership role in the arts and culture. And it was definitely felt like they took a risk on me. Um, and and that's it's a very powerful thing when someone takes a risk on you and then backs that up with with the support you need to flourish in that in that kind of place i guess a part of a part of all three of those examples is yeah i was supported after that and those opportunities the acting the the job that rachel and i worked together in at otley courthouse in, in west yorkshire in england and um and the work with 64 million artists, you know, I've grown hugely through all of those things. So it is, see something, it's the whole, the full sentence, right, which I'm not going to quite remember, but you know, that, that you reflected, like see the potential and help, help me achieve it. They all, all three of them did that whole thing. Mm. And that was more at the beginning of your per, co- coaching career, all three? Uh, well, so what they were all, yeah, the, the, the Joe Hunter one was the most recent one. And that was, that was probably in year one or year two of my coaching. Okay. Uh, how many years have you been doing coaching? Seven now. So the, okay. the, I started working with Joe in 2017. Okay. Cause I, I know that you said you've started writing six years and now, the, but the coaching was a year before. Yeah. The coaching business started just before that. And the, the writing emerged out of, like I hired my coach, I think, because I knew that that was an important part of, that was going to be really important for me and being successful at coaching. Um, and then from that, as we explored what mattered to me, emerged um, writing in, in different ways. Not that I hadn't written before, right? And it, it's important to say that, but but that was where the writing practice came, yeah, after the coaching business. Okay. Um, so when you, um, you know, I so I, I also asked this. So then you started your coaching practice. And maybe part of the influence on the direction that you've gone with your coaching has to do with your experience, um, but also... Uh, you know, your, the different doors that were opened, right. (laughs) And jumping into those. Um, but I wonder your idea of coaching when you first start coaching clients and then how that's evolved into the type of coaching you do now, or even working with groups. I mean, there's definitely an evolution that's happened there. Um, I'm, I'm curious about how you describe, how you would have described your coaching in the beginning and how you would describe your coaching now. (laughs) <laughs> what comes up when you say that Raquel is that I would have described it vaguely at the beginning uh, and I would describe it quite vaguely now I don't know how true that <laughs> is um, what I, one of the things I really remember from early on is getting really kind of stuck in how do I describe my coaching and what coaching do I want to do and being asked by Phil and Vegard who were training me as as a coach um, questions about how do like they gave some great kind of classic business type challenges for us to, or exercises for us to do about creating value statements and, and that kind of thing. And I found that hard. I always felt like I was being quite vague about it. And I had a kind of, you know, you talk about the evolution that definitely, I kind of remember thinking it's going to have to be an evolution because I don't know yet. 
and I'm, you know, how, who I'm going to work with and what work I'm going to do. And probably because of that, that agile idea, um, that, that had come from the lean career change and being aware of that. I, and, and I think because Phil and Vegard and co would have, would have kind of talked about this. I knew there would be iteration of the coaching business, but also I was re- I was starting to become aware. I think I'd read the war of art by this point. I'd re- probably read some other books that, that had similar messages that I would, I maybe I particularly, but all of us could get really hung up on knowing exactly how it was going to go and that that could stop me doing things. And, um, I, a better thing to do would be to start. And so I remember at the very start, I wrote a post that went on Facebook that some of my first clients came from. And I remember thinking it was incredibly vague. And I, I, at first I thought, cause I'd just been through a career change. I thought I would do career change work. Um, because I could just see how important that was. I could see, like I say, it would have, life would have been a lot easier if I'd done, <laughs> if I'd had a coach through my career change. And also Phil had done that, been a big part of his business. So I could kind of see how it would work. And so I think when I first described my coaching, I said something about, I help people find work that's, I don't know, I could probably find the thing somewhere, but work that's more meaningful for them, you know, or, but I remember just describing it in this, what I thought was incredibly vague way. So like someone who wants help figuring out what kind of work they want to do, someone who's struggling with a, challenge or anything else that you might want coaching with the post was something like that incredibly vague and yet people came back and they were like ah oh, that sounds exactly like me and i was like what sounds exactly like you there's nothing it's so vague there's nothing in there but people kind of heard themselves in it anyway um and not not everybody responded in that way but i, I think at least one person did and that kind of taught me something which is you know it doesn't have to be as perfect as you think it. It didn't have to be as perfect as I thought it would have to be in order for somebody to hear their own challenge in what I said, and that it was a kind of worthwhile thing for me to make a guess. So it, I couldn't know, but it was worthwhile for me to make a guess at how to describe coaching. But I definitely, around that time, that time of really starting out, was really aware that um, that uh, I would only learn who I wanted to do work with and how I wanted to work by doing work with lots of different people and trying working in different ways. And that has definitely been true. And a bit like the other thing I'm just suddenly aware of is in describing coaching. You know, I got some feedback at that point on what my coaching's like, and I didn't like it that much. You know, I got some written <laughs> feedback. You know, it, it wasn't that I didn't like it. I could just feel that it didn't, to me, it, you know, the people said, I, they probably said it was thoughtful and uh, that kind of, I don't know, you know, Robbie was a great listener and it just, it, and I think this is a real challenge with coaching. It never feels like those words, those bits of feedback do it do justice to the magic of what the work can be like. Um, so I probably used that a bit at the time. And, you know, mostly when I describe the coaching I do now, you know, I, I think even back then, underneath, it's kind of a bit in that, um, it was a bit in the... Uh, the uh, how would I say it? the the kind of that regret about not going into the corporate world like I was interested in leadership even back then I was interested in organizations um as well as as many other things but I was definitely interested in that and mostly these days I talk about myself as a leadership coach who is interested in different things but a, an important thing that I learned from Rich Litvin who albeit I paid him uh he was a he's been a great mentor to me um and coach when I work with him, I learned a lot from his work. One of the things I learned from Rich about how to talk about my work is that you don't have to accept the premise of the question 
when people say, what do you do? Or what kind of coaching do you do? So a lot these days, I say that I'm a leadership coach. And then I talk about what I'm interested in, which is uh, these days is the craft of coaching. That's where this part of the work comes from. Creativity mm-hmm. and why we don't do the work, the things that we sometimes really want to do. And that's where the 12 minute method and the books come in. And mostly I talk about, <laughs> although I haven't really done a piece of work in the way that I have with coaching and creativity, I, I talk about leading with honor. Um, and that's because I'm really interested in in the idea of honor and how it doesn't get talked about that much in business, in life, in the 21st century. But I spend all my time, spare time, pretty much reading books that are about that. Um, and so at some point I was like, how do I combine this? And so these days when I talk about my work, that's how I usually talk about it. You know, I'm curious about this, this honor. How do you, how do you understand um, leading with honor? Yeah. I mean, it came, it came from an interesting place. So it came from like uh, trying to integrate my work, really trying to think like, how do I make sure all of me is in my work? Because that's going to be the most unique work that I can do. And that's going to be the most impactful work that I can do. I don't want to be not including a part of myself in this. And I realized- So you're honoring yourself? Just so that I'm clear. Is it honoring yourself? Well, honor emerges when I realized there was a part of me that I wasn't really talking about in my work. So I have this like side thing, um, which is a website about my favorite author. And I had this, this author called David Gemmell, who was a British fantasy novelist. And he died in 2006. And I accidentally, I, like because of a book club, um, it's from a book clubs, but <laughs> I don't know if they were a thing in other parts of the world. In the UK, like at least up until, until the internet, really, on the back of magazines, you'd have this like book club advertised where they'd have this like really cheap offers to get you in. And then you'd have to buy a book a month for however long before you could leave. And I wanted to get a, my mum and I wanted to get like a two pound normally 40 or 50 pound really nice version of the lord of the rings and it, it was two pounds but we needed to buy some other books on the cheap to get it to start the book club and so i bought these david gemmel books and they changed my life like they were they taught me a lot a huge amount about how to the kind of person i wanted to be and a big part of that is the concept of honor and so basically the reason that leading with honor is in my work now or i try and talk about that is because i realized that I didn't really talk about, I was I, David Gemmell and his work and the other fantasy novels I read and a lot of the other stories that I love are often about this kind of idea of honor. And I wasn't, it wasn't included in my work. And I tried to look for where it was included. And then I spotted this thing. And this is a bit about how I think about leading with honor. So I, now I haven't solidified this and this might be something I work on more next year. I'm not sure, but in some ways I think of honor as doing the right thing, even when it's hard. And the right thing being a a thing that often we know, Uh, we have a knowing of what is the right thing for us to do here. Um, And, you know, you know, even when it's hard could be even when it doesn't seem strategic, even when it seems as silly, even when it's scary, there's all these reasons that we might not do speech marks the right thing. But a way that I, as soon as I'd had this thought about leading with honor and how I wasn't including that in my work, I spotted a pattern in my clients. And it was that often, particularly corporate clients, clients in big organizations, often the challenge they would be coming to the coaching with once we'd really dug in was was something like this. Like, I feel like to succeed in this business, I have to play this game this way, do this thing that way, um, be political the other way. Essentially, to get ahead in this business, I have to compromise myself. And what they really wanted was to be successful in the business without having to compromise on their values and on who they are. 
mm-hmm. by staying true to themselves. And I basically, my feeling is that is essentially the lead with honor piece. It's like, I know that like the way that other people are doing this or the way that I think other people are doing this from the outside is that, you know, they might be playing this snide game. They're doing this thing over there. They're bending the truth there. They're taking credit for something that isn't theirs over here. And I don't want to do that, but I feel like I have to. And so they often first come with, how do I do that? And then when we dig into it, we realize they don't actually want to take credit for things that aren't theirs or whatever it is. And then we can, then we start to say, okay, how do we succeed? Um, how do we succeed and stay true to what's important to you? And I think that in a way is, is leading with honor. So do you keep that in mind with when you make decisions on how, um, how you coach or whether, you know, also you have a community now or, you know, when you even writing your books, um, is this a, is this a theme that you pay attention to for Um, yourself? For myself, yeah, mostly not. I mean, I, I tend to say it now. So another another thing about this is like, um, I think I probably learned this from from Rich as well, is that I used to believe that I had to, this is kind of the honor, right? It's like, no, it's not quite. It's more, maybe it's more, I don't know what this is. I, I kind of used to believe, I used to try to be successful by um, giving people what they wanted to hear. So by you know, telling people, trying to like find, work out what people wanted to hear a potential client and then telling them it so that I could get the client. And then at some point, I, you know, maybe because my business, you know, I was paying for myself and it's easier to be bold when the, the mortgage isn't on the line. But I think it was from Rich. It's like the other way to do it is to be who you are and then allow your clients to select for you the ones, because what you really want, you don't really want to like pretend to be somebody else. I don't really want to pretend to be somebody else then get the client and then have to pretend to be that somebody else for the whole engagement with the client. Just like if I apply for a job, I don't want to apply for a job pretending to be somebody else and have to pretend to be that someone else for two years while I'm in the job. Um, So much better to be who you are and allow that to select the people that might want to work with you. So I do sometimes talk about leading with honor, just in that slightly gentle way that I said, you know, I'm a leadership coach and the things I'm interested in are this and this and leading with honor, which I sometimes think of as, as this. And what's nice about that is for some people that really resonates. You know, I had said of that on the first call of a of a leadership program. I worked with Joe, I think, actually, or, or with her company. And, you know, I remember this, you know, the, by two days later, the guy was one of the one of the people was talking about the word honor still, because for the right person, it really resonates. And if not, the description of it does. But but I am thinking about that in in how I try and be. And and I've been lucky to kind of learn from other people, um, not directly, but an example is Fred Kaufman. You know, I think, I'm not sure he talks about, maybe he does talk about honor, actually. He certainly talks about being conscious in leadership. Um, and that means, and and he talks about impeccable integrity. And and what, what I've realized has been important for me about honor is to really live my values. And I had to learn from Fred Kaufman, actually. I didn't really like the phrase living with values until I really got the power of it, which I got from Kaufman. I kind of, I'd done values work with clients, but I'd always been a bit skeptical with it. I was like, what? I'm not sure I understand it in the way that everybody else does. And then Kaufman makes this brilliant point, which is no matter how much responsibility we take, and he believes we should take responsibility in our lives, we can't control the outcomes 
in the situations much as we would love to but we can always control whether we lived in line with our values and 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 therefore whether we can be at peace with ourselves you know that's um the this particular question you know we're talking about um working with people in organizations and and whether they have honor i hadn't really thought of it from this honor perspective um how you're describing it but but um a question that often comes up in trying to make decisions on what to do, right? Is, you know, no matter what the outcome is, you know, what, what role do you want to play in this situation? Or no matter what the outcome is, um, what's important for you, you know, that you, or how do you want to be, or what do you want to do no matter what the outcome is? And, you know, if you, especially if you have to live with yourself for the rest of your life, you know what I mean? No matter the other people come and go, (laughs) but yourself doesn't go away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, amazing questions that you've just given. And they are really questions about about values, aren't they? And, you know, a different a different person who didn't read David Gemmell might might talk about values driven leadership or something like that instead of leadership with honor. Um, it's all leadership with honor is also good because not many other people are talking about it. So it's good, good from a branding nice. point of view. And maybe there is there is a guy in America who, who talks about who has a leading with honor brand, I think. Um, but uh, but but it, yeah, I, I and then, and then, so it's interesting that I do bring. So I bring. I try and ask questions like that as well, and and it really helped me seeing that thing about us not being able to control the outcomes. Really helped me working with clients because it means that whenever someone's got a big outcome goal, whether that's get a promotion or turn over a certain amount in their business, or if they're a coach, create a certain number of clients. A way that I used to that I am of more service to my clients now than I used to be is say I used to say great goals, let's do it. And I now say, great goals, let's work towards that. But those things are actually slightly out of our control. What do we need to do together? What's, what, what is within the control of, of us two, as two people to do, that if we do them, regardless of whether we get exactly that outcome of that promotion or um, that uh, turnover, you'll be at peace with yourself. You know, all those kinds of questions that you just talked about as well. So it's mm. in there, there. And I, it's also in there in just the way that I try and do my business. I try and do the right thing even when it's hard. You know, if it feels like the right thing to me, to I try and have values and then actually keep, you know, keep to them. I try and honor my word, even if I can't can keep you, it, if I have to let somebody down. Can you give me an example of a, of one of these hard moments where you had to make a, a decision, a hard decision like that? Yeah, well, it's like the classic one would be. <laughs> in fact, this client did this with me twice, right? Get this, you know, which which would be a piece of work for us to do. If she ever comes back to me again, I will only do it if we can look at this. But anyway, the, the classic one would, would be, or one that feels really strong for me is like when money isn't that, when my business isn't that fluid with money. You know, it's very exciting to get a new client, and then sometimes that client wants to stop the work partway through. And then I have a decision, like, what do my values tell me about that situation? What do I want to happen? I want the money because I need it for my life and and for my business, you know, with this client in particular, it was, you know, but what's the right thing to do? Actually, the right thing is not to penalize her for stopping this work because that doesn't feel right to me. And I want to, you know, I want, in my business, I want her to I want everyone to leave every interaction with me in my business thinking of me, I guess now we're saying it, thinking of me as an honorable human who does business in the right way. Um, But strategically, that's smart because if I'm in this for the long haul, I want everyone I've done business with to 
still after we've done business be in, be able to refer people to me be able to come back later and i've had examples where that wasn't the case in fact with exactly this thing so the reason so then with this client that I, the first client that i'm talking about there you know i did have in my contract what do i do in that situation well actually they no one pays for coaching that they don't that they don't do in my business and different people have different choices about that and that's perfect but that was my choice about how i wanted to do business so i gave her the refund even though that was painful financially for me. But the reason I knew that was how I wanted to do business was because I had a, a previous client where I really regretted how it ended, where she would, because we had a very awkward conversation about money that I didn't want to ever have to have. A, I didn't want, it wasn't the awkwardness of the conversation, but the, how I had been in that conversation, I never wanted to have to be again because I could tell from the regret that it wasn't me living in line with my values. So because of that, I made a decision um, what would we say when when I when my mind was reasonably clear that in future I would do it like this, and then the test is when that situation shows up, when your mind, especially if there's if in my case there's money on the line and I need the money, um, you know that's not the clearest time to be making decisions, but it is a test of of the honor, right? It's a test of do I do the thing that I believe is the right thing, even when it feels hard to do that. And there's there's the example. It's like okay, uh, I will refund the money in this way. And here's where we are. Yeah, those are really hard decisions. Um, also, from a business perspective, you know, I think in the in the coaching world, you know, with your clients, but it also, um, I don't, you know, we talked about collaboration in the in our first in the in the um, podcast interview with my podcast. So yeah. I don't know if we'll get into that in a little bit. But I was thinking about even collaboration with other coaches, which is happening more and more all the time, just like your friend invited you to coach while she did the training. And, you know, sometimes think relationships can be great. And then you get down to the money. And then mm-hmm. how is that managed in a way that you can also um, maintain or thrive? Um, a working relationship or, a, you know, or a f- friendship actually that has developed, you know, through your coaching together. And, you know, just, I was just thinking out loud, like I had, I've had situations where I've done collaborations where I put a lot of time and energy resource and expertise in there. And then didn't in the end, because of some circumstances did not get compensated afterwards. And yeah. that was a little bit of a, you know, in terms of honor, my, the understanding of that was a little bit um, maybe different. Um, but I realized at that point in time, also from an honor, now I'm very, I'm not, um, how should I say, I'm not fearful, or I don't have a bad attitude, but I'm very, I try to be very clear. <laughs> and of what's expected, and what do I do and know in making more conscious choices without um, about how to move forward. And when I bring people in to, let's say a client asked me for a project, and I need to bring in help, right, other people in there. I will, no matter what my client does, I will always pay people. I will always do it. Yeah. <laughs> Even when we offer something free for a test, um, maybe I don't get paid, but I'll pay the people. Maybe they don't get as much as I would pay a normal thing, but I will have some, I'll give them something to value their time. And I know that comes from um, my having the opposite experience. And I don't want to give people that experience. And when yeah. you're talking, I was like, you know, that's this is this honor thing and also honoring Maybe it is honoring our values, honoring the context, honoring the va- honoring the value of people's time um, and energy. Um, I think that's that's uh, it's interesting how that that plays out in different um, projects and how can we be okay with ourselves even afterwards. And um, I think those are really important questions in a lot of different ways. You know, um, 
And, you know, for the listeners who did not listen, who were not part of the listening in podcast, which we talked a lot about collaboration. And um, for you, um, Robbie, you know, one of the things that you think is, oh, where am I going to next? And, and what is, you know, taking this coaching journey to a place where you've supported community building, you've supported coaches thriving, right? <laughs> you've mm. done this um, also through your books and things are growing and this is expanding. And, and then um, this idea of, oh, maybe I can ask for help and collaborate in bigger ways. And what does that look like? And I'm, and when I say that to you, what happens to you when you think of your, your, um, your leadership and, and the way that maybe you don't know the answers yet, but when I say that, um, what does that tell you about your journey and what's important no matter what you do in the future? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's interesting. It is, um, it has been in my mind for a while, I think because of some work I did with Robert Holden, where he talks about, he's got a really nice piece of work about what he calls dysfunctional independence. And he says something like, um, the new level, the next level of success, I, I'm, I'm getting this slightly wrong, but it's like the next level of success requires a new level of partnership, something like that. And ever since I heard him say that, you know, sometimes you hear someone say something and you just think, oh yeah, that's true, isn't it? <laughs> or at least that's <laughs> true for me now. So I've yeah. been kind of aware of that and I, it's been useful to have that in mind. And I found it really hard. Like my way that I resist partnership is, <laughs> I don't know if, if you watched, if it made it over to, um, you're in, in Germany, aren't you, Raquel? Like, did you, yes. have you watched Killing Eve? Has, has that, did that, it's like a no, B- BBC no. show. So there's a BBC <laughs> show in it about with um, Sandra Oh, who is famous before that for being in Grey's Anatomy um, as the main character. But it's about, one of the things it's about is uh, a secret, secret assassins. Um, and there's this great bit where this aging assassin gives um, the younger assassin some advice. And she says, she's like an aging Russian woman. And she says, yeah, look, management is just watching other people do things worse than you could do them. <laughs> basically that is uh, you know the reason i find that so funny is that's essentially a, that's one of the barriers to me collaborating is that it's the same thing that means that i had to create the 12 minute writing practice to break through my perfectionism you know it's like i get held up by excellence it's like a good it's a good strength right striving for excellence it comes out top of my cliff and strengths is maximizer it's like it's there everywhere but it causes me problems when i'm creating things it makes me have fights with my wife sometimes and it, um, it, it, it holds up collaboration because I, um, on some level, which is interesting given everything we talked about, about finding this, the, the compliment for the strength surprising. Like I do know that I do things well, I do have high standards for things. And so I have this real, that's the thing that I have to work with when I'm collaborating with people, um, and trying to lean into that, looking for that new level of partnership. Um, yeah. Let me see if I understand that. So, so your resistance is this. Um, I'm going to use. <laughs> you can let me know if it's not the right yeah, word. Yeah. But, um, that your fear that your excellence will get in the way of the process, and that you'll fight with your partners like you do with your wife in that moment. <laughs> well, essentially, yeah. Well, just that, like, I won't even let anyone. It's actually more like I just won't let anyone do something because I. Th- why would I let someone else do it when I think I could probably do it better? Is is like the is the mental 
like obviously it's nuts because yeah. there are plenty of people who do things way better than I do and if I know that practice is important and there are lots of things that I haven't practiced that much that but that's the that's one of the ways that my independence has become dysfunctional the fights with Emma are more like <laughs> I want to uh, what would the example be well when we were planning our wedding we had a real fight about like I wanted to like fine-tune the seating plan i wanted to like curate who everyone was going to make friends with and emma was like what the hell are we doing why are we still talking about this um and i think i was right but the hilarious thing is the venue messed up the seating plan anyway so no one got to so it was it was, it was a wholly wasted it was a wholly wasted fight um i've forgotten Rick, raquel where we where the your original question about this like what that was because i've chatted about w- random things <laughs> no i was um so i'm I'm teasing you. I'm challenging you, but I'm also, you know, playing with um, reflecting back a little bit about what you said in terms mm. of excellence, and and so I think um, we're still, you know, understanding what what this means. But um, you mentioned that your resistance um, to collaboration, because so far you have worked mainly independently, yeah. and and yet you see the potential, and you're kind of looking at this potential of partnering, and yet you notice. Um, that there's a resistance there. But yet, as we spoke about in our listen in the listen in podcast is that this resistance is usually a message for you that there's potential for transformation. And that's Mm. why you're very curious about this resistance. And you know, it's there trying to understand it. And then what, um, what is possible to do um, and perhaps even using some of the things you've learned over time, you know, without expectations of outcome, making it playful, maybe just 12 minutes every so yeah. often. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Raquel, that's so good. That's going to make my partnership so much better. Um, and though I do, in a way I do, in a way I have done that, you know, it's like, I know, you know, is this thing, you, you're absolutely right. The like, the resistance being there and I've learned a lot how to deal with myself. I've learned a lot that about those voices of perfectionism and how I just have to not listen to them sometimes. And that was where, you know, that was where 12 minutes a week of writing was, was, was everything. And why for me, it's an amazing, like creating books about it or from it is amazing because it makes it much harder for me to forget it. And so in, in my partnerships, it's just like, I have to accept that the, you know, just like the articles I write will never be perfect, but that doesn't mean it's not worth, um, publishing them, which is what I've learned over time, right? No article written in 12 minutes is as perfect as if I'd spent, I mean, is as perfect as if I'd spent three hours on it. Like I could have definitely fine tuned some bits of it into more speech marks perfection, but it's much better that they're just out. Um, and that the, they're there and they can still make a big difference. And I have to get into that place with partnerships as well. It's like no person that I work with is going to be perfect. And especially at first, it's this tricky thing about, you know, I've got a new um, assistant working in my business now. I've got people who do work with the coach's journey as a part that I've managed to get people to help me um, on more because it's, and, and it's one of the reasons I know that I need help because little bits of it with the community have been slipping. And, and so I have got people helping me. But of course, when they first start, they do know less than me. Um, and they are probably worse than me at doing the literal task here. But that's not a reason to not have their help because other things are possible. And so, yeah, it does feel like it's an important noticing the resistance, which your brilliant question on listening 
opened up for me. You know, that's one of the places I feel the resistance. And we have that press field rule for people that haven't listened to the Listen In podcast yet, that wherever we feel the resistance is most important for our soul's evolution, that, yeah, these partnerships, they are important to me. Um, and, and they're important because of what they might make possible. And what's another thing that's fun about, you know, accidentally writing these books about creativity is that to turn them into books. So these, um, for anyone who doesn't know the story, um, I wrote a blog to, on my train journey and then with a 12-minute timer where I just write a blog, proofread it once, post it. And then it turned out after three years that, that by magic, like it, it truly feels magical sometimes, they were books about something. They were about um, the creative process. They were about how we do things that we really want to do, but we for some reason aren't doing. Um, magically written 12 minutes a time. And so there's really nice things that come from that, which is other people realizing that, oh, well, I can write for 12 minutes and or I can do something slightly different with that sa those same ideas. But one of the, the reasons I'm saying this, Raquel, is like, and it goes a bit back to the honor. Um, in those books, one of the interesting things about it is I have to prepare the book, right? I have to go back to this writing that I did three years ago and I have to, you know, write some introductions and outros and afterwards and part other little bits to make it tie it together into a book. And I, I have to come back to the thoughts that I had three years ago, six years ago in some cases. And, you know, it's like I can be taught by myself, by the past me. And one of the hmm. things that I wrote about, which I, you know, realized then, but I'm still learning, is there's a real possibility in partnerships. There's things that 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 can happen with two people working together that would never happen um, if they didn't do that. Um, and then also once you've, you know, once you've written something, um, you then have a choice. Do you, do you act in line with that? And that's, I think, again, that's integrity. That's, that's kind of honor. You know, do, do you be what you say? Do you do the things you claim to do? And so then I have to look at that piece and go, well, do I, was I right? And the answer I think is yes. And so I, you know, I have to be aware of the possibility of these partnerships and, I've seen in my professional life, hard as it sometimes is for me to trust, and I'm, an, I'm probably an Enneagram number six for people who um, who know the Enneagram. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the things for Enneagram six is to doubt things a lot, and that includes doubting people. And well, the path is a path, like it is for a lot of the struggles that people have, but the path for me is, a, or for an Enneagram six, is the path of trust. And so I don't know much about the Enneagram, but I, but I, that when I first saw that on a slide at a Robert Holden workshop, I was like, oh yeah, that is me, isn't it? So it's quite hard for me to trust. But when I can get into the trusting relationship with a, with a, a business partner and did some amazing work in the last year with, with Mike Toller, who I met on that coaching training, actually, uh, at the, for the coaching school, he was part of the team that founded that, but you know, we've, we've been, we've known each other for many years. He, you know, we created a new kind of partnership that I hadn't really seen before there and new things emerged because of it. So it does feel like partnership in different ways has to be a part of what happens next for me, both on a logistical sense, because it will help me have the life I want, be more productive, get, you know, deliver and honor my word more and because of what it's possible to create. Hmm, that sounds really nice. <laughs> I hope so. You know, I hope so. I hope it is. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was thinking in our conversation, we talked, you know, we were jiving from the beginning of your coaching 
journey. We went from into your you know, the training, and and then you've had a chance to pop into some of how you um, got into um, the coaching, and now jumping forward to the potential of the future. Um, I'm just curious in this in your coaching journey, is there is there some part of your journey that we haven't spoken about that you would love to share with our with our listeners? Good question. Hmm. I mean, there's a there's a piece that I think it's maybe worth talking about, which I'm not sure how much I've talked about before. Maybe that's why partly why it comes up. It's something to do with the different coaches that I've worked with and how they've served me differently at, at different times and the most um the kind of most contrasting part of that was that I did six months on a prosperous coach salon with Rich Lipman and was really challenged by that in amazing ways. And the, the I remember thinking at the end when when we were you know reflecting on what we'd taken from that, I really felt this is an amazing thing to say. I really felt that I learned from Rich. I left his program, kind of feeling like no matter what I wanted to create in a coaching business. I now believed I knew how to do that. And that's just an incredible shift to go through that I that I just didn't have before. And we could talk about where that shift came from and, and how I learned it and all those kind of things. But I really just felt like I sent the sense of possibility and the sense in my ability to create create what I wanted in my business. And it was quite, I found it quite bruising. <laughs> like I was quite tired by the end of it because it was a group program. It was kind of relentless. Um, and I mean, not bruising is the wrong phrase actually, because it, it it's like, um, it'd be like, it'd be more like doing, I've never done it, but I imagine if you do like a, a marathon, that just at the end of it, no matter knowing everything that was good about doing it, like physically, there's a kind of like, oh, some damage that's been done. Even in doing these great things, there's like the muscles are really tired. Some of them are broken. Your ankle hurts. I have done long runs and things like that. So I do kind of know that stuff. And so it was. It would have absolutely, well, it, it, would, it, it didn't feel like the next step that I needed was more of that. And instead, I worked with a woman called Katie Harvey, who regular listeners to the podcast will know from episode one and another episode after that, and got this incredibly different um, kind of support for the next chapter. And it it felt like what we were doing in that phase, we were just like nudging the little the little wheel, like a little rolling thing going down a hill. And every now and again, we just speak and we just nudge it. But also it, it was exactly the different kind of energy that would hold me through some big personal, through getting married, through some big, difficult personal times um, over the kind of, I think, couple of years that Katie and I did fairly intense one-to-one work together. So that, that really occurs to me, but also, you know, both the, the kind of contrast of those two people and also the other coaches, you know, Joel and, 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 and Mike Toller, both Joel Monk and Mike Toller have both coached me as part of that time. Robert Holden, I've talked about the different people that I've worked with. It feels like they've each given me something different at a different time. And it, it isn't, the journey would have been different without those things. Uh, so when you asked that question, that was what came up. There might be other things as well. 
But when you think about that, so when you reflect back at these different people along your um, journey that have been where, I guess, the right teacher came in for the the lesson that was needed at that time to get yeah. you through different things, um, and how different, maybe there were different ways of working or different things, very, how we each have our our way of teaching, training, whatever, coaching, um, and that they're, that's not like there's a right or wrong, it's just different ways, and maybe there's different needs at different times for different people. I think that's really interesting. Um, and sometimes we may not know what we need in that, in, at that time, but it yeah. just kind of happens and the, and the door opens or there's an impulse, you know, that gets us to sign up for something yeah, or the whatever. Im- the impulse is like my experience pretty much like with all of those people getting good at listening to the impulse. Like you don't have to know who the right person is. If you get the right impulse, then it, it that has worked for me at different times. And I've actually, I'm not going to say in case they refuse to work with me, but I, I've had an e- impulse recently for the first time in a little while of like, ah, maybe that's the next person I need. And that's, that's quite exciting. Uh, and the other thing, Raquel, that feels important to say, and I think this is from, this came from knowing about Stephen Pressfield. It's in the 12 minute story, which started with kind of pay discomfort of posting those pieces and it came from discomfort and that that rule about resistance i think like all in there a part of the, my journey that we haven't talked about much is that i have done a lot of things that felt very difficult and maybe it's you know but on some level i knew they were important to do um you know to i've practiced things i've posted articles feeling scared knowing it was important for me to do it i've invited people into coaching conversations i've had conversations about money that that felt uncomfortable to me until they didn't you know and i i just feel like i don't know where all that came from particularly although we could try and do it but it it does feel like when i think back you know that the, the willingness to do and do things that made me uncomfortable the will you know to, and to not believe that feeling uncomfortable meant they weren't the right thing to do, something like that. I, I think we mm-hmm. talked about it a, li- on, a little bit on Listen In, which I hope now now that everyone's um, heard us having this conversation, anyone who hasn't already will go and listen to that episode because there's loads of great stuff in it and we haven't said it all in this. But, um, but, but there's that piece about is the voice or the feeling or the thought fear or is it wisdom? And it's like, I don't know how I... I think I, I think because of Stephen Pressfield, I just started assuming that all my voices that told me not to do things were fear um, and resistance. And actually, that, that was a pretty good rule of thumb for somebody who was scared of a lot of things. Like mostly, it wasn't wisdom telling me, don't post the article, don't ask that person if they want to do coaching with you, don't, don't make a proposal about money, don't say yes to Joe's invitation to be part of the leadership program like all those voices were there and they had very insidious um ways of saying don't do this and i was i have been very afraid at at times in this journey and perhaps that's why those coaches have been so important i can remember joel joel and katie in particular holding me through moments of being really afraid of different things but knowing that that you know courage is one of my values like one of my it's one of the things that I admire most in people. And so in the end, doing those, doing those things like courage, uh, there's a great little video by a guy called Dan Sullivan and on the four C's, but the key, the key is that courage comes first 
And it always comes first before you do something new and confidence comes after. It's kind of hard to remember sometimes once you've done something a lot that you used to be scared of it. And I just want to really want to catch that in answer to your question before as well, that that's been a really important part of this this journey for me. Yeah. And and when you're talking about about that, you know, this um, feeling uncomfortable, um, then having the courage um, to try something out and that a lot of that fear was more before and maybe right at the beginning and that afterwards that transformed into, into courage. Well, I think actually, so my way of thinking about courage is that it's courage is just acting in the face of fear. So actually the courage comes when you take the step. So it's like there's the fear and, and then you take the step the action in the face of that fear, despite the fear, because maybe you think you believe Stephen Pressfield that, that the resistance is just stop, stop trying to stop you doing the things that are most important to you. Um, or because deep down, you really want to do the thing. You take the step, then you feel the courage. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And that, mm-hmm. like, or you're like, you feel the rush of courage, but it takes, right. maybe it's not right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the rush isn't courage because it requires the courage to take the step, but you can't wait for the, mm-hmm. to, you can't always, or, you don't always feel the courage until after you've taken the step exactly. or, you know, yeah. at that moment. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder then, so the fear is there, you know, the courage, the the step probably gets, is you're taking the step and then the courage at some point in time, you know, kind of start, you know, gives the energy, maybe the momentum um, to continue the step perhaps. Um, and I'm wondering then the, because what you're talking about um, are very much about moments of time. Mm right? And moments of experiences. And then that fear is transformed into something else. And for you, what is that transformed into? Is it more courage? Is it, what is it? Yeah. Wisdom? Hmm. <laughs> Both? <laughs> well, actually, what, what, what came up first is, um, is like something like self-acceptance. Oh, I love that. So, so actually for me, like, and this is one of the things I remember Joel doing with me, really skillful piece of coaching is like really digging into the fear. You know, it's like, what are you actually afraid of here? And keeping digging with that until it becomes obvious that it's like, you know, my fear is when I haven't, when this client says yes to me and then no to me, a different story to the other ones before, but a really formative one for me, my coaching when, when she's said yes and then said no, my fear here is essentially existential because when we dig into it, it's about it's about being kicked out of the tribe. It's about being humiliated and embarrassed. Mm. And so if all my fear is about that, is essentially life and death, my fear is I'm going to be judged if something goes wrong or my article is, you know, the same with the 12-minute thing. If my article isn't good enough, people will judge me. If people judge me, they won't like me. If people don't like me, I'll be abandoned, right? That's That was the root of the fear yeah. that, that Joel took me into. The same with, like, if this client says no to me, I'll have to, maybe this coaching business doesn't work. If the coaching business doesn't work, I'll have to admit that to everyone. If I have to admit that to everyone, having told everyone I was pursuing this, then that I'll be humiliating and they will think I'm a failure and then I'll be abandoned again. Yeah. Um, and it's like... You know, so 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 really, what happens is every time I do something that I'm scared, I'll be humiliated, not accepted, and abandoned for. And I don't. That doesn't happen. There's that little bit more confidence and belief in me that maybe yeah. I'll be okay when it comes to that. Maybe I won't be abandoned. Maybe I can accept. But you myself. know, 
I was thinking about that picture. You feel like maybe like a long time ago, maybe at the beginning of your journey, it's like you're going to fall into this deep pit where you can't get out, you know, and little by little that self-acceptance, there's been a little bit of more dirt in there. So now you're at the point where maybe it's still there, but you know, you could just step out if you need to. Yeah. You know, you're not I mean, lost. It's still, the- <laughs> it's still really, it's had a little bit like the, the stuff, this stuff is deep for me. I think it's probably deep for lots of us. And um, I just recently launched a second podcast and that has, there's been a lot more resistance around that than I expected. A lot more like fear. I've been quite relieved by that because of a little, little bit, like I said before, when I've been talking about the 12 minute stories, you know, the 12 minute method, that, that way of writing these books, it's, it's hard to remember how it used to feel to publish an article, but I got a, I got a real, real visceral somatic bodily reminder of that when posting <laughs> this new podcast um, and it was painful and took me a long time to make the first four minute trailer for this for the 12 minute method podcast a long time and it was kind of full of the perfectionism and the fear of if I get this wrong what will happen and then I got a fairly nice but like quite you know fairly nice comment about the first episode and it was like the same thing was there I was thinking about it in the middle of the night it's like it was there so it's it's quite nice to remember that oh yeah this stuff that i've been talking about this is real isn't it but you know but having said that yeah you're right i like the metaphor of the of the hole and the fear that you won't be able to get out of it and and it there is a there has been for me a maybe two kind of things that particularly the 12 minute method particularly seeing what can be magical and can be created from just 12 minutes a week over now six years of that writing practice you know and yes it, it magically turned into these books which i think is crazy but also is a thing that i've done for six years that i kept going with and and there is the kind of sense that once you've once i've does i mean there's a few of them but it's like once i've seen that i can create something and that i don't get abandoned for creating that gradually there is that belief that i gradually built up belief that i i, I can create more things and i probably won't get abandoned for those either and and that that is quite a that is quite a transformation from 12 minutes a week <laughs> yeah that's a huge transformation from 12 minutes a week obviously it's not just that but that was a fundamental part of it yeah yeah it's really amazing you know uh, you know it's it's not very often we dive that deep into what uh, is you know moving us or holding us back you know and so those are pretty big deep thoughts and to even go there it's you know it's pretty pretty amazing what did you what (laughs) you can put this in your amazing uh (laughs) file (laughs) i am am amazing for realizing this no um (laughs) and still stepping forward yeah (laughs) so (laughs) um but it is actually be a cool thing i should probably listen back to this and pick out the things that i wonder if listening back to this and i think more this than some of the other conversations that i've had it feels like you know you have really helped me look at like you say those we've looked together at those difficult things there is something kind of amazing about getting through that i wonder if listening back to myself say it i'll be able to take some of those things that i've said in or or see it even for myself well you have to write about it in 12 minutes absolutely right <laughs> i mean that is an amazing that has been you know amongst the many things it has been an amazing processing learning space for me 12 minutes of writing about something that's interesting to me often including my experience every week and yeah it has been like a practice of vulnerability it has been a practice of courage um, and it has definitely changed me yeah so at this very moment as you said that as you say this in this very moment um let's for fun uh 
pay, pay attention and listen to your whole body at this very moment. Notice how you're physically feeling at this very moment. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, on one level, and I'm saying this because it's true, not because it's funny, but like I'm warm. And I think that's mm. partly the weather. <laughs> I, I, I'm aware that, um, but more than that, I'm aware, we talked about this a little bit on, on your show, I'm aware of the presence, like in me, like the way the way I feel when I've been invited into presence. It's like in my my eyes feel like they're seeing a little bit clearer. There's a kind of like a, a head feeling that is kind of a little tingly. It's not, um, it's not like a full head feeling like when I'm tired, it's like a kind of tingly present feeling. And this maybe, there's also a kind of, Similar feeling, actually, in my heart space. And in this very moment, um, just notice, um, are there any emotions that you notice? <laughs> That's interesting. I'm noticing I'm smiling. As you asked that question, I think it was already there, but it's like... Uh, grown a little bit bigger I think there's like a real Raquel to be totally honest there's a real edge for me in there's a deeper connection to my emotions that is available to me that I do not have um, and I've done a lot of work over the last few years in answer to your question about uh, about w what other parts of the journey a big part of it was understanding my intuitions, understanding my gut for want of a better phrase and using that in my coaching has been transformational to the work that I do. I got some work to do on my heart on, on recognizing emotions, but what came, the word that came up was pride. That's what I, mm. that's what I felt in that moment. Yeah. That's beautiful though. Yeah. And you know, I mean, you've kind of expressed what's in your mind, but you said your head was tingly and I'm, and I'm curious at this mind, if you pay attention to your head. <laughs> um, what, what is it that, you know, what is, what is there or is it clear? I'm not sure. Hmm. I'm feeling very grateful that we have, well, I have a thought, a thought, I think it is a thought, like a knowing of gratitude for this conversation. Well, that's kind of weird because gratitude is kind of a feeling, but it, it's like there's been a sense of, I've got this sense that things have come out in this conversation that I haven't said before, uh, that I or haven't said in this way, so that we've created something new and that feels feels good. I think it's like yeah, it feels like what I would have hoped for and and more, really. Um, it feels like, or I... Th um, there's also a sense that, um, yeah, the, the thing that you said at the start, I kind of know what you were... Uh, I think you said it at the start of this conversation, like what it's like to have these long to be the focus of these long conversations. It's a bit trippy, actually. 
Um, <laughs> and, um, but what it feels like is this conversation has been about me more than at least some of the other um, in- episodes, certainly episodes that I've created for this show that have been, even though they've probably had more of me on them than even than this, but um, it feels like it's, yeah, it feels like it's been about me, this conversation. That's the other thing that comes up. And, you know, just um, with, with all of this in mind, um, what is it that you know now from our conversation that you didn't, uh, you weren't aware of before? Yeah, in a way, the most, the thing that stands out in this moment is, I'm not sure that I didn't know it before, but I feel like I'd maybe forgotten it. I'd forgotten how afraid I was at times in this journey, in these last seven years, maybe longer. Um, and I guess what the, the reason that, that maybe the new knowing in this moment that's emerging is, well, like I... I'm sure those existential fears do show up now, but it, it does it does feel like I have grown to a point where I don't tend to get that around my business, which is a uh, like that tells me something about what's possible. That it's possible to move from a place where those things feel very present, and I felt very afraid. Um, and into this, uh, into a, a steadier place, a kind of, um, a place that's more in tune with reality. Um, yeah, I think that that's what, yeah, that's what comes up. And so with that in mind, when you think about, um, you know, your journey, which is, you know, your coach's journey, which is, um. (laughs) there's you have there's it's coming up there's more to happen right yeah (laughs) and when you think about that then um maybe there's i don't know if an answer will come but um what would you say is the potential of your your journey to come what do you know about that Well, I guess that it is, you know, it is one of the things that I, I've said for quite a while, you know, which is that I must have heard from some, I think I heard from somebody else originally, but it's like having your own business is a great personal development tool. If you want to transform, if you want to be shown, just like having a relationship is a great one. You know, I'm starting to learn that having children is a, is a great way to come up against all your stuff. Having a business is too, and I guess what I'm, when you ask that question, in a way, what we're noticing, what I'm noticing is some of the transform in this conversation, some of the transformations that this work as a coach has helped me go through or has invited me into. And they feel to me all like transformation for the better, transformation into the kind of person that I would hope to be, into more than I've been, into more possibility. And so I guess when you ask that question now, what comes up is that there's more of that that all of these challenges and I did, yeah, I did have one this morning thinking about uh, your people who read the next book, the next 12 minute book will read this note, you know, um, there's a note about one of the pieces 
about this guy, Jordan Peterson, who's this kind of lightning rod for the culture war wars, uh, you know, in all kinds of weird ways. And I, I agonized over this note and the, the kind of footnote for the piece. And it's like, in this moment, I guess what I'm spotting is really, however that turns out, whatever happens, you know, probably actually, if I hadn't said this, I shouldn't have said that because no one would notice this note or think twice about it, I'm sure. But it's like, it felt there was tension this morning, different kind of tension, not fear in the same way that I kind of got in touch with a few minutes ago, but there was tension about it. And it's like, now I guess what I'm seeing is there is the potential in my coaching journey for me as a human to continue to transform. At least I hope that's true. Oh, I'm sure it is. Um, Robbie, I see your potential. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Raquel, like one of the reasons I hesitate there is I have, like every now and again, I just, I, I do have the kind of, like I, it's the doubter again in me. I like, I have this little yeah. thing where I think, are these stories that I'm telling about myself true? Like they feel true. And they're just, they're not really coming from me though. They're just kind of coming through me in, especially when I'm listening to as beautifully as I have been in this call, they're coming from presence. And I, I do, it's probably worth saying because other coaches probably have this as well. Like I do doubt whether coaching is even a thing, you know, whether, does it really work Would this stuff have all happened anyway? And like <laughs> it, 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 it on one level, I know that's nonsense, right? Because I've seen it, I've heard it, I've felt it, all those things, but I do still have those thoughts. So I think that fi those final words I said, which is something like, at least I hope that's true, was really the doubter in me going, do, do, have I actually transformed? Does transformation actually happen? And I guess the theme of the conversation is, I know enough about myself now to know not to listen, not to let that voice, even if it may be partially right, which I don't, you know, I don't know, like it may be partially right most things are partially right that doesn't stop me taking action right that's the that's the other piece that's the big thing and and when it comes down to it Robbie um if I ask you the question have you transformed yeah I mean the answer feels yeah. obviously yes <laughs> yes and the chances that you'll continue to transform are well if I keep doing the things I've done which are be supported to be supported by great coaches, mentors, and friends, reflect on myself, learn, do things that I'm afraid of or feel uncomfortable about, then the answer is yes. Um, if I change and do things completely different, I can't know that. Um, but those mm. things, I, I guess actually I'm catching, as you asked me that question back, it's like I have transformed. The doubter in me, though, is able to get on to, hold on to a bit more tightly, um, has like what has caused the transformation? And the problem is, I think, I just started reading a new book by a woman called Jennifer Garvey Berger. Well, actually by Jennifer Garvey Berger and Karen Coughlin this morning. And they're talking about the definition of complexity being essentially that you can't really be sure what the, what is the cause and the effect. And transformation is complex. And so um, I don't know, again, it's creating the conditions. I don't know exactly what, um, which of those things I've just listed will help me transform. But I know that if I do all those things, it's incredibly likely that I will. <laughs> well, this conversation has been such a pleasure, Robbie. <laughs> and I hope, like we said at the beginning, I hope that um, um, I hope that the listeners, for those of you all, have learned something new about Robbie. And if so, you can share that, right? <laughs> and that Robbie, when you go back and listen to this, that you might be surprised, also, um, and. 
I'm looking forward to having another conversation in a couple more years to see where this coach's journey is taking you. <laughs> yeah, Raquel. Well, I, I've definitely, and I think, like I think I said a few minutes ago, much more than I imagined really felt the, um, felt what it's like to be on this end. And I think more so than I have in, I think more than any other interview that I've done. And that says something about you and your presence and your listening and, um, I got a little sense as well, I think, of what your clients, when you're coaching people, must get to, which they should be very grateful for. Um, and yeah, let's definitely have some more conversations. I would love to do that. Um, and we can decide who gets to interview who uh, that whenever we do that. And um, just so you know, um, I appreciate this little co collaboration that we just had. <laughs> yeah, it's been really fun. And... Um, <laughs> yeah, for listeners, it's quite a thing to do. We're on a, we're on three hours with each other now, and to have two conversations which have kind of overlapped but kind of not. It's a yeah, it's been a beautiful way to spend uh, Friday afternoon. So, on that note, enjoy the rest of your day. I'm happy that everyone listened to this conversation, and we hope that uh, for those who listen, that you um, let us know what you think about this kind of conversation and this collaboration, and and what you've discovered, what you've learned, what you'd like to hear more of. Um, also, in terms of uh, Robbie's journey, maybe you have questions that we I didn't cover. Yeah, that's um, a great invitation, Nicole. Absolutely, yeah. that's true. Um, you should feel free and, to ask those questions. Yeah, so let us know what you, what you think. And yeah. uh, Robbie, I'll let, I'll hand it off to you to close it as you wish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's nothing more to say, Raquel, except a massive thank you to you. Um, it's been such a pleasure. Hello, everybody. Robbie here again. And before you go on to whatever else you've got planned for the rest of your day, um, I just wanted to talk about a couple of ways for you to support this podcast. The first is by becoming a supporter of the show. You can do this at patreon.com slash the coach's journey. Uh, you pay a few pounds a month and you get some benefits if you want them. Um, you know, you get to know about guests early. You get to um, get a monthly video from me and, and various other things, including depending on how much you pay, the chance to ask questions to guests. Um, and if you'd like that, but you might also like to be coached by me as part of a group of coaches all committed to building thriving businesses but thriving as people while they do it then you might be interested in, in the coaches journey community um you can join that from as little as 10 pounds a month um, and pay up to 100 pounds a month and depending on which level of membership you have you can um you'll you'll get access to a certain number of group calls each month each year plus um the chance to work with me one-on-one -on -one too um, you can find out loads more about that at thecoachesjourney.com slash community. Um, and I just want to say a big thank you to Alex Witten, Joey Owen, Vera Yanka, Alex Swallow, Ken Brewer, and, and Neil McKinnon for your ongoing support, as well as a thank you to everyone who's been a member of the community and a supporter of the show over the years. Um, and of course, to all of you who have shared the show, um, rated it, reviewed it, wherever you are. So wishing you a wonderful rest of the day and hope to have you back with us on the Coach's Journey podcast sometime soon. Mm -hmm.